It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. And we welcome you in to another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Hope everybody is doing well. This is uh, episode number 164. That makes us sound much more productive than we actually are on this podcast. But uh, in fact, we took a week off last week. Uh, JC has a very good excuse. We'll get to that later. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to delve into that just yet. That's too big a news to just uh, kind of glance over the top before we get to our guest. But uh, we're we're happy to have uh, our guest coming up here, Kano Aguera of Sari Down South. We wanted to get him on last week, but again, we had to bump it back a week. Connor does great work. I, I will tell you that. Uh, uh, JC has been busy on the personal front. I just wrapped up another uh, season of college baseball, my 10th super regional with ESPN. And if you go back to the radio days, I guess it's 14 or 15. And it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. It, it reminds me of how to make a football tie in because we're going to be talking pr- predominantly football as we always do. But the super regionals are so special and we get on ESPN so many casual baseball fans that don't really pay attention to it during the regular season and they watch and they they get caught up in it. And I, I couldn't help but think with all this playoff expansion talk in football that when we do expand and hopefully it is 12, uh, I really hope they don't lose any momentum or want for home field sites in the early rounds, because that is what makes no Omaha is great. And I've, I've been to Omaha three times in, in my career, but you can't match what you have with a home field environment. And in my case, I just had Arkansas upsetting North Carolina on their home field, but guess what? Arkansas fans gobbled up every ticket they could. They're calling the hogs on the first base side. And you, you got Tar Heel fans chanting and you got, Razorback fans chanting and they're arguing and it, you just don't get that in a sterilized corporate ticket gobbling uh, neutral field environment. You have to have it for a championship game. I get it. But man, I hope in those early rounds we get to see college football playoff games on site. That's the one tie in I will say from what I just experienced in baseball to what uh, we look forward to in football. With that being said, Let's get into some football talk. Uh, his name is Connor O'Gara. He's with the site Saturday Down South. Uh, I, I mentioned this just kind of talking uh, before we, we signed on, Connor, that I, just, I stumbled upon the site, I don't know how many years ago, and there's so much space, just like in this podcast space. I, JC and I have always said, if, if we're not getting the thousands of people that, that tune in each time we do it, we'll quit. I mean, we, we have other jobs and we do this for fun and we don't make a ton of money on it. Thankfully, enough people have said we like what you do. Your space is probably even more crowded because every Tom, Dick, and Harry has launched a college football webpage over the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and very few stand the test of time. Yours has, and your work is outstanding. So with that introduction, let me say hello and welcome. Connor, thanks for joining us. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words. I feel like, man, I, I got a tough bar to live up to after after <laughs> such kind words. But yeah, I, I, that's a credit to, to my bosses and, and the people who have had the vision to run Saturday Down South. And while there have certainly been 
uh, different moments in our company's history and different moments in which we've tried new things that just haven't worked. I mean, that's just the way that, that this business is. I think our company's done just such a tremendous job of being able to recognize growth, the, the proper way to be able to build it and not necessarily throwing out the playbook. You know, like we got started back in like 2010 as this uh, kind of startup who was really kind of the timing of it just worked out so well covering uh, pretty much everything SEC. And we, our rise coincided with the rise of the SEC. And when I joined this company in 2015, it was like, hey, we've already got a ready-made thing here. We're getting millions of page views on a given college football Saturday. And that to me is what kind of makes us unique and that we are this free site that doesn't necessarily have a ton of people boots on the ground all the time. We don't have like beat reporters constantly, like, you know, like covering all these games, every single press conference in that sort of way. And it's, you know, it's a different sort of business model than some have built out. Some have tried that, some have failed with that. And we've been able to kind of stand the test of time because we want to produce unique content. We want to produce stuff that people actually talk about, uh, can waste a, a day at work reading. And we want to be the website that, as I always say, we want to be the one-stop shop for all things college sports. And there are other people who, who do this tremendously well. And obviously 24 seven sports and what you guys do. And, and, you know, I read the athletic all the time, ESPN and stuff like that, but we've been able to kind of carve out our specific market because we have writers who care. We have people who are just dedicated to making interesting content all year round and not just during football season. And I think that's why we've been able to do what we've done and to have done it now for over a decade. And that's something too, like going back to my talk show days, I would always say, you know, I, I can find a lot of people. I can train a monkey to just take phone calls during football season and, and put him in a studio and kill three hours a day and call himself a talk show host. Uh, similarly, I can find a lot of guys who can just write September, October, November, December, January on college football that the stories. You know, the subject lines write themselves. You still have to be a skilled writer to kind of separate yourself from the pack. But what I love about what you guys do, too, is that you're not just football. Uh, I, as a three-sport guy myself and calling games all year in the SEC primarily, I follow you guys not just during football, but throughout the basketball season. Your coverage this past week uh, in baseball is terrific. And you could read some of, of Connor's uh, stuff on the on the site. So you guys, like everybody, you know, football is still the ultimate cash cow, but you don't go, pardon my French, half ass on basketball and baseball either. Yeah, that's been a transition for us too. And we've had people within our company, Adam Spencer does such a great job leading our, uh, our SEC hoops coverage and does just tremendous work, in my opinion being able to kind of expand that. And we, you know, like I'll, I'm the guy who look like I'm focusing primarily on football, like I'll call it what it is. But once January is kind of over, we kind of get some of the postseason stuff where it's like, all right, you know, the, the football dust kind of settles a little bit post-national championship, post post-coaching carousel, all those different things. Then I dig into basketball and I sort of help out on that side. And it's the same thing with baseball where like, yeah, once super regional has come around, I'm going to help out Joe Cox, who's been writing great baseball stuff for us all year. And we have other freelancers that do a great job for us. But yeah, I mean, that's been the, that's been in the last few years too. I mean, for, for a little bit there, it was just kind of like, yeah, we're going to do football all, all the time. And we kind of realized, well, we could do a little bit more and we can still be the, the, uh, the primary, like football is still going to be our primary, you know, like what moves the needle for us. But at the same time, we've recognized 
we'd be stupid not to be talking about college basketball right. and, and, and college and college baseball as well, given the market that's there. And I think the growing interest in, in SEC basketball is one of the reasons why we've yeah. been able to do this. It just seems like ever since, you know, 2017 ish, mm-hmm. like 2017, 2018, that rise in popularity has allowed us to kind of have that market to where now we'll send people to, you know, to, to cover a, a sweet 16 or, or something like that, just mm-hmm. because the market's there and having that live coverage is, you know, something that we don't necessarily do every single week for every single regular season game or something like that. But, you know, the postseason, especially, we definitely go all in for it. So yeah, it's been kind of nice to be able to, to experience, and do some different things that aren't just football. Yeah, and you don't have to go knee deep. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be like at ESPN, we're kind of uh, linked with D1 Baseball, and, and those guys do a sensational job, and, and they'll break down player for player. I mean, we got guys like Mike Rooney, who's uh, the most knowledgeable guy on the planet when it comes to the overall sport. But you guys kind of give more of a on the periphery. Uh, just it, it could be a simple story on a on a, a super regional or a player who's having a monster year or whatever. And sometimes that's enough. That's just that's a that's easily digestible, uh, which I think you have to particularly in the print space. And you guys know this more than I do, that that's that's more important. You have to economize, uh, you know, how much how many words you're going to do on this subject or that subject and how many how many uh, stories you're going to do on this player or that coach or that team. So, you know, you, you guys have found, I think, that sweet spot. Um, what did you think of my preamble on the, uh, the, the Super Regionals? Did, did, did you enjoy that again as a – you're not from the South, and as you mentioned, you're more of a football guy, but you caught yourself getting into the coverage as well like a lot of SEC fans do, even if their team's not in it. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point, too, about the playoff and – I don't know that expansion of the college football playoff is imminent mm-hmm. just based on the way that things have gone with. This We're getting to that. Now. Trust me. I know yeah. you've got strong opinions. On that. I do. I definitely do. Uh, but I mean, just on the surface, I, I think that's one of the great things about sports is seeing these games played on college campuses. Like mm-hmm. think about how different that Tennessee loss would have felt if it were just some neutral site game, right. The fact that that place was just surrounded in orange and you get mm-hmm. to see Notre Dame kind of have this moment. And, and really like, it, it felt like that, that was such an us against the world type of atmosphere where if that, if that's on a neutral site, like I just don't think that has the same sort of juice. And the fact that mm-hmm. you saw those stunned Tennessee fans where once that seventh inning, ha- that seventh inning happened, and you're, you're seeing these, these balls flat out of the yard. We're like, it's, let's call it what it is. It was two fastballs that were up in the zone. Notre Dame took advantage of them. Mm-hmm. And then you see these stunned faces of Tennessee fans who are like, oh, my God, man, this isn't going to happen. And you get those sometimes, you know, in college football playoff setting and neutral site. But, man, there's just something about playing on these college campuses that's just – that's unique. You know, to, go, to make it to, – to go back to football terms, of course, the example that everybody else was bringing up related to Tennessee was this Ole Miss-Tennessee game this past year, like – Lane going back to Knoxville and seeing the, the mustard bottle and the golf ball. Yeah. Seeing the way that fans reacted to him and this, this venom that was there, like that's what makes college sports so great and seeing these moments play out, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll always remember that. We'll, we might forget who the national champion is, but we'll remember those specific moments. We'll remember them because they were played on college campuses. It's the absolute best. Uh, look, I, I get a chance to do some NFL games on the radio and, and like Bill's mafia is great. And Kansas city's great, but I'm telling you like college athletics for a venue and to spend a, a weekend 
and and catch some of the flavor of the town and the fan bases and the culture and everything else. And everything is unique, whether it's the coming from the band or the student sections, it, it, there's just something special. And I hope we don't lose that. Um, when I'm going to say, Connor, the playoff is expanded because I've still a uh, holdout hope. Let me start off there then, because uh, I, I can't remember if I was listening to you on an interview or maybe it was something on Twitter or what have you, but you were pointing out the fact, and I think you're spot on that uh, I, I'm, I'm making my own uh, cliche here. You know, it, it's, it's the chicken or the egg argument. Well, in my, in my estimation, the chicken has to come before the egg chicken produces the egg. I've never heard of like the immaculate egg. So let's just say the chicken comes before the egg. Your point is for all these people talking about, uh, the SEC scheduling model and the the, S, uh, the college football playoff expansion, like the, the two are kind of intertwined, right? Because people that run the SEC, they're not going to go all in on a nine-game schedule if the playoff doesn't expand. I mean, if it stays at four, it's safe to say that they probably will keep it at eight. But if you go to 12, there seems to be momentum to go to nine. So all this stuff is intertwined. And when the, uh, the Alliance, uh, if you will, that, that, that is the big 10 and ACC and PAC 12 that decided, no, we don't want to, we're going to put the, we're going to put the brakes on this. When that happened, that really put the brakes on so many other things specifically involving the SEC. So when people thought that Destin was going to have like all this great news and stories coming out of it, it really didn't. And we're a month away from SEC media days. And I'm afraid to tell people that I don't think there's going to be a ton of news that comes out of that either. Agreed. Explain where you, where you side on all of that. I think people lost track of how the SEC has always gone every everything they've done with conference scheduling has been with the postseason in mind and the sec has mastered this in a way that other conferences have not and what i mean by that is when the big 10 made that move to switch from the eight game conference schedule to the nine game conference schedule they did that the 2016 season was the first time they did that the big 10 had three consecutive seasons of its conference champion getting left out of the college football playoff that sucks the SEC, meanwhile, has had its has had its champion play for a national championship in 15 of the last 16 years. You know how many of the national champions in the playoff era, excluding 2020, because it was a weird year for conference scheduling. You know how many of the national champions played an eight game conference schedule? All every of them. one, every yeah. last one of them. There, there are so many different examples statistically that you can break down where you're like. Yeah, eight-game conference schedule versus nine-game conference schedule. This is pretty obvious here. And, yeah, a lot of that is because the best talent, the best coaches, the best everything is in the SEC, and the SEC stuck with that. But think about this. I mean, the, the only time in which we have seen a Power 5 conference with an eight-game conference schedule miss the college football playoff with this four-team model was the ACC this past year. That's the first time that's happened. And so if you're trying to, to figure out what's our best path, you got to protect that. There were so many people that went into the SEC meetings in Destin thinking, oh, well, we got to protect these rivalries, and that's going to be the number one thing. We can't have years where we don't have Alabama, LSU. We can't have years where we don't have Auburn and, and Georgia playing. I, and I totally get it from that standpoint. I really, really do. But the people who thought that, well, we're just automatically going to go to a nine-game conference schedule when, wait a minute. Nobody else has come out with any sort of announcement yet. And Nick Saban has been adamant. He's like, I, I would love to have a nine-game conference schedule, but 
we got to look around and make sure that we're doing this right. Because if there are all of a sudden going to be these, these teams in the Alliance who go to the eight game conference schedule, and we're still maybe playing a four team playoff in 2026, which is possible. If you've read, if you've read the comments that Greg Sankey has made and his opposition to the Alliance, if you kind of add that all up and you're looking at it, you're like, wait a minute. So there's a world in which the SEC could add Texas and Oklahoma, expand to the 16-team super conference, and then add another conference game, and we're staying at a 14 playoff? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would the SEC do that? It makes no sense. So that's the situation that the SEC is trying to avoid, and that's why we didn't get that announcement in Destin. The SEC can sit back and watch others play ball. The SEC doesn't need expansion. They don't. They truly don't. I think they would prefer it now that they made that move to add Texas and Oklahoma, which, by the way, that happened after this 12-team playoff was announced that that was going to be in the cards and that they were agreeing on uh, what exactly those parameters were going to be. But the SEC is in a position where it cannot shoot itself in the foot. you got to think wisely about all the different factors of play, and there are so many different moving pieces that if you're just looking at this from, oh, well, I want to have Auburn and Georgia play football every year. I think you're looking at this in a little bit too obtuse of a way. Yeah. I, if you listen to this podcast, uh, JC and I talk about it all the time. My favorite uh, term is that the coaches look at things, which therefore ADs look at things. Cause if you, if you have a prominent head coach, the AD is not going to go against that prominent head coach on his ever. philosophy on scheduling ever. Right. Not if he wants to maintain his job as the athletic director path of least resistance, Right. I mean, unless you are Nick Saban and you know you're never going to be fired, uh, the, the path of least resistance is what I want. And if that means I'm going to take some ridiculing if I play Western Carolina one week in a 12 game slate versus another SEC game, I'm OK with that because I'm going to have a better chance of keeping my job by doing that. And that's the way coaches predominantly look at things. And so I, I don't think we're moving off of eight until we know that there's going to be more seats at the playoff party. And right now, of course, we're stuck on four. And you also think, if I'm, if I'm reading you correctly, that all this talk about Oklahoma and Texas getting in early? Nah, because, again, they're all intertwined. And we, because we didn't make any headway on the playoff expansion, that means probably less chance of making headway on Oklahoma, Texas getting out of the Big 12. That deal's done. It's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's not they're still negotiating whether or not it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The, the latest it's going to happen is 2025. So if you're looking at this and if you're looking at when do we think expansion would happen, expansion would theoretically now happen in 2026. So you could have one season in which maybe you have the 14 playoff and you have the 16 team super conference. What's the hurry if you're Greg Sankey? to pay nine figures to get Texas and Oklahoma on board when you know that media contract is going to be insanely good. And that's the other thing that's kind of lost in the shuffle. And I saw Ross Dellinger reported the media contract for the eight game schedule in the sec versus the nine game conference schedule. Isn't going to change that, that. Yeah. That's, that's locked in. That, that's not changing anything. So you already have Texas and Oklahoma on board. Why do you, why do you, why is it so imminent just because BYU, Houston, UCF, and then Cincinnati are going to the Big 12, like you need to then go and get Texas and Oklahoma. Like, no, I mean, unless they're all of a sudden going to give you some massive discount, even then, which we know that's not going to happen. Instead of paying 18 million bucks per school, like those individual institutions had to, you know, were, were forced to pay to get out of their contracts to be able to join the Big 12 early. 
you know, that's not going to be the case for Texas and Oklahoma. So it just doesn't make sense to add them early at this point. I thought when they first were reportedly going to the SEC that, okay, there's no way we're going to have Oklahoma standing up there on the Big 12 championship stage and collecting this trophy year after year and being this lame duck team. I thought that we were going to get that move a lot earlier, but things change. And there has been that material change, which is the college football playoff. And that above all else is the way that the SEC makes its decisions. So with all that being said, uh, and I, I, I was hopeful, I admit it, that Oklahoma and Texas would get in early. And if you asked me, you know, whenever, well, a year ago when that broke around SEC media days, if you asked me if it was going to happen early, I was like, heck yeah, they're not going to wait. They're not going to, they're not going to sleep in the same house uh, after the divorce has already been filed, but it looks like they might. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas are going to have that nice spot on the recliner and the sofa. Uh, They're not going to be allowed in the master bedroom, but they're still going to live under the same roof until, unless something miraculously uh, financially happens so if, if everything is just status quo, right, we're, we're looking at 14 playoff for the next four years. We're looking at an eight game conference slate in the SEC for a while. And we're looking at no uh, early entrance for Oklahoma and Texas. So what are we really talking about a month from now at SEC Media Days? What's gonna, the, the, the Jimbo Nick Saban feud can only give us so much material. What else are we really breaking down in Atlanta this year? NIL, all the changes to NIL and what what specific coaches want, whether or not federal legislation can happen without all these antitrust lawsuits, whether or not that the the FBS is going to break away from the NCAA, which in my opinion, like that's that's the solution. My opinion doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But if I'm making a prediction today of what an NIL legislation potentially looks like down the road, I think it it leads to breaking away from the NCAA, the FBS using that contract from the new playoff agreement, which is going to be substantial, taking a cut of that and devoting it to a new enforcement agency that actually does, you know, the thing it's paid to do, which is enforce because the NCAA cannot do that right now. The NCAA is the same organization that told us, Hey, we are overwhelmed by the transfer portal waiver process. We can't handle this. We're just going to give everybody a one-time exemption for immediate eligibility rather than deal with all these different cases because stunner we didn't expect this to happen so the ncaa is not the organization that's going to step in and all of a sudden regulate all these nil all these nil based collectives which those have popped up way quicker than the ncaa could have ever imagined and all of these teams have their ducks in a row so do i expect the ncaa to be able to step in and come up with rules to come up with employee status no, like none of, none of that stuff is happening. To me, the only way that we ever see any sort of a crackdown is the FBS breaking away from the NCAA, which remember, of course, doesn't control the postseason. So it's a little bit different for college football compared to college basketball, college baseball, those different things. And being able to say, let's let's come up with our new enforcement agency. Let's have this self-governing body and let's actually have somebody that can enforce instead of everybody kind of accusing each other of wrongdoing and not really knowing what any sort of wrongdoing is. I, I think that has to happen. Uh, I, I don't see any other way. And I, I will say this, and then I'll give way to JC here. I, the coaches I've talked to in all three sports this year, as much as NIL is a mess, the thing that they're more perturbed by, for lack of a better word, I don't know, maybe there's not a better word. Maybe perturbed is the word that fits. Let's go with perturbed. That is the deal with 
transfer portal. You're getting to the point now. I mean, I have baseball coaches telling me they're worried about losing their top player because another school is offering 200 grand for a baseball player. Yeah. You can only imagine what we're looking at in football. Coaching now is no longer about ball as much as it is keeping your players, acquiring players, acquiring talent, and then keeping that talent. Some would say pay for play, pay for stay. That's the new environment. And coaches never had to, you always had the threat of a guy transferring and then have to sit out. And that's part of the game, particularly at the quarterback spot. If a kid's not playing, you can only play one quarterback. You're going to lose some. But uh, what we're looking at right now in all three sports where it's rampant and you've got guys that are playing a ton, doesn't matter because a school down the road might, might kick in an extra 50 grand in quote unquote NIL money. Um, that is the one that I think bothers coaches even more than the ambiguity of, of uh, true NIL is, is the complete wild, wild west of the portal. Tampering is insane. And look, in a perfect world, the NCAA would look at obvious cases like Jordan Addison and they would say, let's find this string of text messages to be able to figure out if tampering occurred. Let's go into the Twitter DMs. Let's see if any sort of outside contact was made because in case you forgot, NCAA has a tampering rule. It's there. But what's the point of a rule if you're not going to be willing to actually enforce it, do anything with it? Mm -hmm. You can't just treat this like you're, you're going to trust coaches to be able to self-govern. I don't care if Pat Narduzzi shows up on the doorstep of Lincoln Riley in his 12,000 square foot home that's got about 15 bathrooms and says, you better not tamper with my player. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Who's going to stop Lincoln Riley from actually doing anything? Pat Narduzzi's strong words? No, it's not going to happen. So in, in an ideal world, the NCAA would be able to regulate some of that. They're not going to do that. At this point, I've given up hope on that. And this new enforcement agency could hopefully step in and deal with that because, yeah, it is a problem. And, you know, I saw Lane Kiffin's comments that he said to Ross Dellinger as well about why didn't Bryce Young enter the transfer portal? I think it's a little bit different for a quarterback that's going to be scrutinized in a major way and the risk of that transferring potentially or even threatening to transfer in a pre-draft season. It's a little bit different there, but for somebody like Jordan Addison, that's kind of the perfect case because all of his surroundings changed. He had his new off. He has a new offensive coordinator come in and replace Mark Whipple, the guy who was force feeding him targets last year. He's got a new quarterback. Obviously he doesn't no longer has Kenny Pickett to be able to catch passes from, and he wasn't somebody who could go to the NFL. So if you're an underclassman and you're looking around you're like, Hey, you know what? I could have a dip in production. If I don't figure out a way to, to kind of do this for myself, Pitt didn't have a collective in place. Ironically enough, neither did USC, but USC obviously has their ducks in a row. If what's being reported about those potential NIL earnings is true, then you know what? That's kind of the perfect storm for something like this. So ideally you be able to avoid situations like this but i think it's just going to keep happening and that's that's the world that we're living in right now yeah i thought uh you know when you read some of the stuff about it because I, I covered recruiting for a long time and you know i love recruiting rankings and obviously have made a good living uh with that being sort of the basis of my career but i also know the reality of those and uh the reality is uh under no circumstances uh, should that be setting any sort of market value for a player? Um, and so I see some of these things where, you know, over and over and over again, uh, you read things about generational quarterbacks. And I think people have lost track of what exactly a generation is. <laughs> um, every single year, it seems there's one. Uh, you have seven-figure deals people are talking about for recruits out of high school. Um 
that's the part that bothers me because I, I think number one, some of these investments people are making, they're not going to get a return at all. Um, uh, you know, cause these guys are, I mean, look, man, I, I know defensive linemen and I know that, uh, these guys are super duper athletes. I mean, unbelievable athletes for their size. It isn't hard for guys with that kind of size and athleticism to dominate on the high school level, but they have to work, you know, once they get it. And they're hard to motivate sometimes because things have come so easy for them athletically. Um, so what's going to happen when they have seven figures in the bank is my question. And, and you know, and they're not Jadevi and Clowney. Um or, you know, I mean, even Robert Kendici and Miles Garrett and guys like that couldn't just step on a football field and dominate. They had to work up for toward it. So that, that's one part of it. And I, that's the part that kind of, you know, I'm like, ah, the hype train has left the building, so to speak, because it, it, it's based on something that's not real. Uh, most of the coaches I talk to, just like Mike, though, they're more concerned about like the Jordan Addison situation. Uh, and Quite frankly, in my opinion, Jordan Addison, if, 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 if anybody's worth a seven-figure NIL deal, it's a Bolitnikov winner. I mean, the guy's yeah. gone out and done it. I feel horrible for Pitt because uh, I think Pitt is – I mean, they won an ACC championship last year. They, they've kind of had more success under Narduzzi than they have uh, maybe back since uh, Jackie Sherrill, Johnny Majors in that era. So uh, I felt bad for them as a program. Uh, however, you know, I, I think a guy like Jordan Addison uh, does deserve it. But but you hear about that with even coaches like Ryan Day. Uh, he's at Ohio State, for goodness sake. And, and he's telling boosters, we need $13 million just to keep our roster intact. Um, so I agree with you a little bit, Connor, about the, the governing body right now is toothless uh, for this. You know, the, the, the organization that is supposed to enforce the rules in college football just – you know, they're not going to – I mean, they'll go and interview everybody at Miami and, and put on a show, but there's really nothing they can do uh, to circumvent the state laws in all 50 states to, 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 to kind of enforce anything but the way this thing's structured. Um, so I kind of do think that eventually we'll see uh, a breakaway and another organization just for, uh, just for football. I, you know, college basketball is tend to – as much – of as the money and transfer portal dominates the conversation in football these days, basketball is 10 times worse than has been. Uh, the going rate for a quality basketball starter is much higher. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, uh, what the answer would be, or even if a new organization could enforce it, or if, you know, schools are just going to have to start saying, Hey, you know, we're going to have to have a budget for this and uh, quote-unquote pay our players with, with NIL money. I'm just not sure, you know, what the long-term answer is when you kind of break down all those laws and, and all that good stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, they're counting on the federal government to do something, and we know that's probably not happening. Not so, right. I, I, yeah, I have no idea, you know, what to think. But I do think that of all – even though the Addison situation was frowned upon, you know, heck, I'd much rather uh, – I, 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 it makes – I'm – I'm more comfortable with a guy like Addison going and getting his money uh, than, than maybe some of these high school recruits simply because football is developmental and there are very few finished products out there. So the, the problem too that Nick Saban brought up in his seven minute response, which if you watch all of it, of what he said during that event in Birmingham. And of course the, the quote that gets taken is, 
is him singling out AM, which for the record, I don't think he should have done singling out AM and Jackson State. But the the bigger point that I thought Saban was trying to make was something that you hit on there. The roster management of that sucks. Like you have a guy that you've paid, you know, maybe it's a, a four or five star recruit that you've essentially uh, you promised, you know, $200,000 in your first two years. And you have a kid who's like already made six figures worth of NIL money, NIL money. And you're like, wait a minute, this kid hasn't, he's, he hasn't started a game for us yet. And I've got a booster over here and I just, I'm, we're, we're rewatching Friday night lights right now. So every booster in my head is just buddy Garrity. So excuse the <laughs> reference, but you've got buddy Garrity coming up to you and telling you, Hey, I need this kid to play. I want to make good on my investment. And just from a basic roster management standpoint, that is a really difficult thing to have in the back of your mind of, Hey, if I'm a big time college football coach, I never want to have to think about that. If a walk-on is beating out a five-star kid, I want to play the walk-on. I don't care. That's what I think Nick Saban was trying to get to. And he has built his roster in a different sort of way. Now we, we can all, you know, pick apart the fact that he said, you know, we've never, we've never bought any player, whatever, you know, we've all seen the Dodge chargers and kind of make of that what you will. Maurice Claret gets in, in trouble for that, but you know, you've got guys across college football that have been getting car deals for a really long time. And we just pretend like that's totally okay. But my point is that I think that when, when Nick Saban says something like that, that to me makes a lot of sense of why I would want to avoid that situation if I'm a head coach, because you're then going to have a player like that who makes all this money before even playing. And then he's going to hit the portal and he's going to make more money. You're like, wait a minute, what's that's totally messed up because that's not even pay for play at that point. It's like pay for acquisition. And that just feels weird. It feels kind of, kind of scummy. And I, I realize college football has had this underbelly for a while. And now people are saying, ah, oh, you know, now it's just all legal, but or it's just not illegal is probably the better way to say it. But I, I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around. And if there's any way to try and avoid those scenarios moving forward with some of these contracts that are being thrown out there to recruits and whatnot, and that that's not going away anytime soon. And until we get an actual governing body that enforces some of these things or says, this is illegal, this isn't, and here's the punishment for it being illegal. I don't think we can assume anything is off the table. No, certainly not. By the way, you said Friday Night Lights. I'm, I'm going to go blue chips on you and, and oh. happy. Everybody remembers mm. the, the JT Walsh character, happy. Happy's the guy that had Nolte by the you-know-what. He, he was the guy that was paying everybody behind the scenes. When that underrated. Movie, a very underrated movie. When that movie came out, a lot of people thought, oh, that's so over the top. It's so Hollywood. That movie stands up today more than ever. It's it's incredible. <laughs> I, I love that. That's like an, such an underrated sports movie, too. It I is. Was, I was at the barbershop like two months ago, and I, I can't remember like the subject, like some basketball movie we were talking about that. And, and my stylist is saying like, oh, I don't like that movie. You know, a movie I do like is Blue Chips. And Blue I'm Chips. like, yes, you are yes. exactly right. And the fact that Shaq was able to like, think of the sliding doors moment of Shaq working out with Penny Hardaway, right, this kid from right. Memphis state. And then all this, like the legend grows where he's like, Oh my God, this guy knows where I'm going to be at all times. I need to get him on the magic. We're going to trade Chris Weber and all these picks and get Anthony Hardaway. I'm in Orlando. So like, I have a little bit of the, the bias. But there, they did a whole but, 30 for 30 on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's exactly how it happened. It was going to be Chris Weber all the way. And Shaq developed a bond during the filming of that movie. 
And all yes. of a sudden the magic are like, well, all right, Penny's the guy. So it changed, changed the course, changed of, history. The course of history. Yeah. It's, it's uh, fascinating. That movie's so good though. Matt Nover did not change the course of anything. He was the, uh, the prominent white recruit who got paid and it was a former Indiana player, a decent college player, but mm-hmm. uh, not clearly, not nearly the, uh, uh, the same success at the uh, pro level or any success at the pro level for that matter. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you, you, you buried the lead, lead there, Connor. You mentioned that you had a hair stylist. And I think uh, we can all appreciate the fact that you are really rolling in, in high cotton at that point. You know, the rest of us are going to great clips and uh, you, you got a stylist. I, I, I got to admit, I'm impressed right off the bat, man. You got to go to a place that knows how to cut men's hair. You know, <laughs> like that, that, that's not sexist. That's like a real thing. I mean, I know we yeah. see the, the commercials, no, no, uh, no free ads here. We see the commercials for like sports clips or something like right, that. Right. And they always talk about that. But I, I made that, that, that change about, I don't know, like two or three years ago. And yeah. I felt like it's, I felt like it's been for the better and I never leave with a bad haircut. Whereas I've had a few of those other instances where I have to like go back and I'm like, Hey, you know, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. You kind of, you guys didn't really do any sort of blending on the side. Right. Here. It's always an awkward moment. It's always oh, an awkward moment that. when you got to go back and then you know that the, the hair, stylist is going to be like gotta hey, walk man. right past it and go to a different person that's well the now you've really hurt thing. their feelings see I'm, yes. I'm too nice like i'm like okay look you screwed it up and i'm going to give you your moment of redemption so let's let's make this right and and then i and then i tip them again so oh. i just i just I, because i feel like i just took their time so now uh. i've double tipped for a bad haircut Mike. I know, I know. It just this is That's why like a Midwest I, move I, right I, there. You, you, you double tip for because their screw up for their screw up because uh, because I'm coming in the second time and I know they've got like you know the computer or whatever they they've got people you can tell I'm not going to high end places uh, and and they've got their list of people and I'm just crashing their itinerary and saying no 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 you need to fix this so here's here's another tip on top of the original tip. And even the second time, it's never that these are, we could do a whole, a whole podcast on this. I, I, uh, I have a good guy now, but I've had bad. You, you had just gotta get that person. one. You get that you one get person that, one. that you're comfortable with. And then yes. that, that's your ride or die till death. It's almost yes. like a spouse. It really yeah. is. It really is. It's a, it's a special bond. No doubt about that. Um, Connor, you and JC both mentioned the Miami situation and I'm looking at Ross Dellinger's uh, article and, and he's been crushing it for, for a while now on, on all things regarding these matters. Uh, I realize he's an SI guy, but he's one of the SI guys that, that doesn't um, marinate everything in social commentary. He actually just reports on facts with which what college football fans go for. He's got the entitlement. Uh, he's got the title, excuse me, NCAA enforcement begins attempted NIL crackdown with Miami inquiry. And the, the, the first uh, sentence kind of says it all because this is we're all we all feel like the NCAA has become the ultimate Barney Fife, right? And he says the NCAA's plan to explore name, image, and likeness deals is no longer an idle threat. And this is all involving billionaire Miami booster John Ruiz. So I did a little deep dive on him. He's made his money on one company that won't get into and the other one is cigarette boat racing down in Miami, uh, which is a whole other story. But this guy is the guy responsible for, you know, forking over a couple hundred grand on a basketball player. And there's a, a ton of NIL deals already with football players. So I guess my question is, what do you think, if anything, comes out of this? Because everybody's watching this one. This has been in terms of an actual program, not one player, but an actual program that clearly is testing the boundaries. All eyes are on, well, what's going to come out of this? Is there going to be anything 
that is going to be kind of a um, deterrent to abusing NIL, or is just just a let's go through the motions. We've got to do say we're doing something here in Indianapolis, but we still have no power to really fix anything. This is going to be one of those slap on the wrist situations wherein they're going to come away very frustrated that the NCAA that is, mm-hmm. I think they come away from this realizing anybody can explain that a player is getting market value. I, I think that that's what this comes down to because the entire purpose and where the NCAA kind of threw their hands up and said, you know what, we just can't control this anymore was what's the difference between pay for play, which we're going to get to in the latter half of the 2020s more officially than what we're currently at right now, or what is actually NIL, what is market value. And so how do you actually enforce this? As long as it's not egregious to the point where you're just like, okay, you clearly didn't do anything for this specific company is like even a social media post. You know, like we see CJ Stroud gets a $200,000 deal for, you know, car, $200,000 car deal with Mercedes and whatnot. And like, all right, he, he posts on social media and this gets all these different headlines. And like, is that market value? Is, does that make it worth it for him to be able to do that? And he's not driving, you know, in the words of Kanye, he's not pushing a RAV4. Is that all of a sudden worth it? I don't know. Like, apparently it is. Can the NCAA actually step in, look at a situation and say, you abused the system. You did not provide any sort of services for the money that you were able to make. Who is it? Isaiah Wong, the, the point guard who went into mm-hmm. the transfer portal after he, that guy was unbelievable in the NCAA tournament. I watched mm-hmm. some of the guys, some of the ways that he finished against Auburn. I was like, Oh my God, who is this kid? And then, you know, he's trying to capitalize on his value. And that was kind of like college basketball's version of the Jordan Addison situation. And can you actually point to specific examples? If you're Miami and say, this is what he was able to make off of his likeness. This is how, how we were able to kind of justify that compensation because the NCAA is not going to be able to put a cap on these earnings. Like that's, that's not happening. And the second the Supreme court voted nine to nothing and said, there's no way you can say this is a fair business model. No other organization in the country can exist and pretend that this isn't capitalism. Like it's cop it's capitalism. And so that's, what's going to win out. And as long as Miami wasn't totally egregious about this stuff and still can prove some sort of, of service was provided, I think that's all that's going to matter. It might be that simple, but making headlines for saying that they're investigating this and then maybe they'll give them some sort of a fine or, or something like that. Or maybe they'll say one booster can't participate in any NIL facility, like any NIL involvements moving forward. I, I don't think anything significant is going to come of this. I really don't. Uh, I, I don't, I don't see it either. Uh, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. That's basically what the NCAA is uh, right now. Now, Connor, when did you write the, I don't have the date in front of me, uh, the one year ago, my post-spring quarterback depth chart article? Oh, man, did I write that or was it Matt Hayes? Is Matt that, Hayes might have did that. Is that not you? I thought I thought I had the byline, Connor. I've got, <laughs> I've got, well, maybe he wrote it, but it's your, it says Connor O'Garrell one year ago. And okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, Quarterback yeah. So- rankings. Okay, so were these my rankings going into the 2021 season? Yes, then? yes. Oh, okay, so, okay. And, this is, and I'm not doing this to put you on the spot. JC and I used to do a segment, Hits and Misses, and I always would say, nobody wants to tune into a podcast and hear two guys talk about how they were right about everything. The fun <laughs> is when you make predictions or forecasts and you can look back and say it was wrong. That's what we need more of in, in college football, right? Some unpredictability 
because we already have it's the most predictable sport on the planet with the same five schools uh, competing for the title every year. So I don't even know if you remember this list, but I oh boy. this is fun. Okay, so number one, you nailed it. I, I mean, I, I think you, you didn't win the Heisman, but Matt Corral, you had number one. Okay, you were talking about how, look, last year I was banging the drum for John Reese Plumley to start over Corral. Meanwhile, Corral was putting late night film sessions in, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, Matt Corral had a terrific, terrific year and is now with the Carolina Panthers and will try to win a job there. Now, number two is when things get fun. Boy. JT, J- JT Daniels of Georgia, everybody. I, I, everybody's guilty of that. Everybody's like, it can't be Stetson Bennett again. It can't be Stetson Bennett again. So we were talking about JT Daniels a year ago. Number three, Bryce Young. Uh, obviously, that worked out pretty well. Number four, Miles Brennan. Well, mm. I mean, you know, injuries and, and some guy named. I'm not selling my stock yet. I still okay. have my stock. I'm holding okay. on tight to that. Number five, Emory Jones, Florida. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Uh, number six, Haynes King, injured, but we can't we can't yeah. give a full uh, report on that one way or another. Uh, KJ Jefferson of Arkansas, seven. Well, if you could go back now, you'd be a little more bullish on KJ, right? I, yeah, my guy, Brad Crawford, who, look, I love Brad to death. He's my guy, former coworker, still keep in touch, still text regularly with him. He had KJ 14 in his SEC yeah. quarterback Ooh. rankings, and he Ooh. took it on the chin from Arkansas <laughs> fans. Like, I, I had him on the pod after the regular season, and we talked, we talked about that at length. And he's, he's much higher on KJ now. I, going into this year, I had KJ as my number three quarterback in the SEC, and I just rewatched the the, uh, the Arkansas Ole Miss game, which was probably my favorite game of the 2021 season. Yeah. And I just, I fell in love with KJ all over again. So I will be, I will be much higher on him. I'm, I'm probably going to have him at three in my, in my early quarterback ratings going into this season. Who, who would be two? I know who one is. Hennon Hooker's got to be two in my opinion. Okay. Be two. Um, yeah. I, I think he had just an unbelievable year after not getting those full first team reps and I'm so grateful that he stepped in and I didn't have to watch Joe Milton play football anymore. Like <laughs> with all due respect to Joe Milton, I would watch that guy warm up. I would watch him. Um, if, if you gave him a contest of uh, like, I know what the pro bowl they used to do, like who can throw the furthest I'd watch him do that. I think he'd throw the football out of the stadium. I really do. I, I think he is that capable of, of doing such a thing. But Hennon Hooker, to me, just kind of was a game changer. And the crazy thing is, is despite the fact that, like, he put up these monster numbers, 31 to 3 TDI and T ratio, you know, top four in the country quarterback rating. I think he's top three, actually. The, despite the fact that, like, he did all these things and he's an unbelievable runner as well, he still got a lot of room to grow. He took too many sacks last year. He can get better in the intermediate. I think a full offseason with Cedric Tillman is really going to kind of take him to that next level. So I, I love me some Hendon Hooker. I really, really do. Ever since I, I saw him kind of, like, looking back on, on the year that he had at Virginia Tech, I was banging the drum for him to be the starter at Tennessee. And I was hopeful that he was going to win that job out of camp. It's kind of baffling to look back and think that Joe Milton beat him out for that starting job. And by the way, you had Hendon 10 last year and most people had him around there because you didn't know what to expect as a transfer. I I thought, uh, I think it was Matt Hayes on your site had the stat of the day for me. And that is as we go into 2022, at least one half of the starting quarterbacks in the SEC will be transfers. Think about that. Yeah. That's how the landscape has changed. I mean, that that used to be the position where, you know, it wasn't like getting a JUCO defensive tackle to plug a hole. You wanted to groom your quarterbacks. You wanted to redshirt them maybe for a year. You want them to sit and learn for another year before he got the starting job. Now it's like, no, nah, I don't want to mess around with all that. I want to get this established product in there right now 
and let them go. So that, that that's another climate change in college football, even in the SEC, where you got top recruiting classes all over the place, a lot of transfers. Yeah, and I think it's the the stat. I want to say it's like the five star quarterbacks from 2014 to 2020. I think 10 of the 16 transferred, and then of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, I think it did the number last year where it was like 10 of the starting quarterbacks transferred at one point during their college careers, which is crazy to think about. Like that includes a Josh Allen includes like an Aaron Rodgers who like, you know, transferred from Juco schools and whatnot. But that's, that's like the way the sport is trending. I mean, it really is like, if you can't, if you can't dip into the portal and find somebody that's going to be able to, to, to step up and, and have that, that like be able to kind of master your offense, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of a step behind like Alabama. Like that's kind of the thing that they haven't really done yet. I mean, Jake Coker is the last big time transfer, I guess, that they, that they had at that position that really kind of like took off, but you know, that's, that's kind of like the one area that they haven't really had to, to come to grips with. Whereas it seems like pretty much, every other program has had that big time transfer come in and either been a JT Daniels case where like, you know, it was good for a little bit and that didn't work out. Or it was somebody like Hendon Hooker, who you're thinking multi-year starter, or Will Levis, somebody like that. Spencer Rattler's generating a lot of, a lot of discussion going into this season, a guy who who can step in and just be able to kind of plug a hole and, and, and satisfy a, a big off season need for you. I've said this before and I granted it might be a little recency bias because I had the Kentucky spring game, but uh, in terms of NFL draft stuff, don't be surprised if Will Levis, Will Levis is the number one guy uh, in terms of what the scouts are looking for at the next level. If he puts together a good year, and they don't have a ton of weapons, quite frankly. They lost Wondell Robinson, who was their one playmaker at receiver. They have nothing in the way of what these other programs at the top have, but he is special. I mean, he's a ridiculous athlete and intangibles off the – when you sit down and talk to him, you're like, yeah, that's agreed. my franchise quarterback that I'm going to give $200 million to. Yeah, there are. um, Look, I I hate doing this. So I'm going to preface this by saying I am not comparing him to Joe Burrow. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I want I want this on record. I'm not comparing him to Joe Burrow. How many summer enrollees can you think about that play the quarterback position that were stars year one? Mm -hmm. All the great transfer quarterbacks, you're you're coming in early, right? right? That's what gets lost in the shuffle is that he didn't have that full. He didn't have a spring with that team last year. And the first month of the season, he wasn't particularly good. He mm-hmm. made some clutch throws. That throw that he made on third down against Mizzou to Wandale, where Wandale's got press coverage, and he, he, it was like third and 18, and Wandale, for whatever reason, is getting press coverage in the slot, and Levis looks over to him, and he realizes, oh, yeah, this is this is money in the bank, and he's able to target him. I don't know that he's going to have that this year. I'm high on Tavian Robinson, the transfer from Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Ironic that they're replacing Wandale Robinson with another Power 5 transfer, mm-hmm. also with an at last name Robinson <laughs> as well. It could be one and done for him. But, yeah, I, I think that will Levis. Levis is a guy that is really polarizing. I'm not in the belief that he should be like preseason top 10 in the way too early mocks, mm. just because I think lost in the shuffle of his arm strength. He worked with the biomechanics expert in Canada. If you read the Bruce Feldman story in the athletic mm-hmm. last year, where you really saw a different guy than what we saw at Penn state. And I think that you look at the tools that he has and it makes a lot of sense. He still has to get better as a deep ball passer. Mm-hmm. He's got the strong arm, but to be able to connect on some of those deep throws that weren't even close last year, he really struggled with that kind of in the middle of the season. Now he does a lot of things really, really well. I think he's got this same sort of cockiness 
fearlessness that a Jim McMahon, a Joe Burrow has as a runner. And that Mm -hmm. makes your floor so much higher. We really saw that in that game against Louisville where he scores the four rushing touchdowns. He throws the L's down the entire game. He was awesome to watch. So I look at that and I look at that transition. I I would have been higher on him had he been able to return my doppelganger, Liam Cohen, as his offensive coordinator. (laughs) I would have really loved to have seen that. But unfortunately, he doesn't get that. Um, you know, they're going to be able to, to kind of stick with the same offense, but not having Wandale, we'll kind of wait and see what happens with this Chris Rodriguez situation. You, you do have a Liam Cohen vibe. Somebody else, I think, put that on Twitter last year. I, 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 I did. Yeah, yeah well, there you go. <laughs> so well, I, I met him too. Like I, I did a story on him and Wandale together, and I was able to go up to, to the facility at Kentucky. Like I, I, took a, I took a selfie with him like after our interview, and I was like, yeah, yeah this is, this is kind of weird because he – it's like the same breed of human. We started talking about like our family genealogies and whatnot. And oh, like, hey, nice. You have like some, what, what's like, what region of, of Ireland is your family from like way back in the day? Because yeah, there, there's some weird sort of connection there. I could definitely see that. But I was when, Liam Cohen. When I actually do see a hairstylist, I get George Clooney a lot, but you can understand that. I mean, just looking <laughs> here on the, on the Zoom feed. Uh, I want to ask about two more quarterbacks that I think are, are real wild cards this year. Uh, but the top end is so high. Spencer Radler, South Carolina, Anthony Richardson, Florida. Mm. If, if we're ranking those guys and what you could forecast on those two, so a year from now we can talk about how right or wrong you might be, uh, what do you see happening in, in Columbia and in Gainesville led by those two quarterbacks? Really, I know Anthony technically was a starter, but he was hurt so much. He's thrust into a much bigger role, and Spencer now clearly is going to be the guy uh, in Columbia, they're not going to get benched for anybody for South Carolina this year. So what do you see with those two? Okay. So let's, let's start with that point that you just brought up about, he's not going to get benched for anybody at South Carolina last year. The hate for Spencer Rattler has gone too far in the opposite direction. And he's, he's a, 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 a guy that a lot of people root against because of the QB one stuff that came mm-hmm. out and the fact that like he takes Oklahoma out of his bio in the middle of the season last year, when he's not the starter anymore, but at a place like Oklahoma, you're you're competing against the the standard of Oklahoma quarterback, which is Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and that's what you're competing against. His quarterback rating going into that Texas game, the Texas game wherein he was benched, was 158. People forget about that. They really do. They look at that situation for an undefeated Oklahoma team, by the way. The scrutiny of quarterback at Oklahoma is so unbelievably different to where if you think about like how many other places in college football where they have been chanting for the backup in September with with numbers like that. And don't get it twisted like he was he was underperforming. I'm not saying that he was he was unbelievable and he was tearing it up and they were way too critical. But that's context that needs to be remembered with those saying that he's just a bust. He's never going to be great where he's you know preseason number one overall and all these weights really mocks. I love the mindset that he has gone into this with. I love the fact that he has said, you know what? I'm recognizing that my offensive line is probably not going to be as good as South Carolina. I need to put on like 12 pounds of good weight because I want to be able to run more. I want to be a little bit more durable. I want to be able to take a hit. I think he's got some great weapons around him at South Carolina. And that's what people are saying. Oh, he's going to really struggle with that because he's not going to have these great weapons. Okay, that just tells me you haven't watched Jaheim Bell play football. You haven't watched Josh Van play football. They got this kid from JMU. Uh, it was Antoine Antoine Wells. I think his name is. I'm, I, I'll be able to remember that name once he starts making a bunch of big time plays. Uh, DK Joyner. Uh, they're really high on Marshawn Lloyd, obviously. Austin Stogner, the guy who comes with him from Oklahoma. 
And Marcus Satterfield's offense, which struggled a lot last year, albeit with three different quarterbacks, is suited really well for him. They're going to do a lot of the similar things that we see under the, the McVay-Shanahan tree. Like, that's kind of the, the style that they want to have. So I look at all those things, and I'm like, Spencer Rattler, like, if you're thinking that he's just going to be terrible at South Carolina, you're out of your mind. And this is the place that hasn't had a quarterback drafted since they've been a member of the SEC. They haven't had an all-SEC quarterback ever. All right. So the bar for him is very, very low after a grad assistant was their week one starter last year. No, no offense to Zeb Nolan, but it's going to be different. And he's going to make some throws that you just step back and say, okay, I get it. I get why this is different. I get why this is even different than Connor Shaw, Stephen Garcia. I I get why this is not exactly the same thing. So I'm higher on Spencer Radler than I think most are. I have him at number five in my way too early quarterback ring. He's actually one spot ahead of Will Levis, who I have at number six, just because I think people are discounting the success and what he was able to do in the latter half of 2020, where he was definitely one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Finished that year with a better quarterback rating than a pre-draft Trevor Lawrence as well. People forget that. So Radler's in a different spot than Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson last year was Haley's Comet. I mean, like you see some of these things that he's doing and you're just blown away. I mean, like go back and watch the USF game and some of the throws that he's making. It's not just the runs. I know he's getting some of these Dak Prescott comps because he was playing in Mullen system. That'll be different now that he's not playing in Mullen system. And that's, that's kind of the key for him. He's no longer going to be in this spot with a guy trying to save his job. And he's going to be allowed to make mistakes. Now, Billy Napier, his entire focus cut down on those mistakes. If you look at what he did with Levi Lewis at Louisiana, that was the big thing that he was able to do. And he wasn't necessarily a guy who was putting his team in tough spots. Anthony Richardson, if you watch the LSU game, like go back, that that kind of encapsulated everything that Anthony Richardson was as a second year player. Made some incredible throws, had some incredible runs in that game. Also made some plays where you thought to yourself, oh, this looks like a high school junior making some of these reads and he's predetermining these things. You can't have that. So I look at all those different things and I say, okay, Anthony Richardson has through the roof potential. He still needs the right coordinator. And I don't really know his weapons are going to be particularly good. I'm not as high on his outside weapons. I'm not necessarily waiting for the former five-star Justin Shorter to turn into a number one receiver in the SEC. So I look at all those different things and I have more questions about him. Would it surprise me if he ended up being an all-SEC quarterback? No, but he definitely has more to prove. And I think Florida fans are going to be excited to see the good, but there's also going to be some bad that comes with it. Yeah, I, I think both those guys are, the ceiling is high. Um, but, uh, but there's, there's still some things to prove. There's still some meat on the bone, even with Spencer. And, and I agree with everything you said about Spencer. A lot of people kind of sold stock on him a little too early based on uh, an Oklahoma fan base that like a lot of fan bases of elite programs, the moment that a quarterback has an off game, oh, get rid of him, bench him. We want the other guy. They had, yeah, they have the five star waiting. That's that's right. the other thing. Like exactly. you have Caleb Williams waiting. It's it's totally different there in a place like Alabama. Not not to interrupt, but I, I yeah. just think that's the thing that gets lost in the shuffle with a situation like this. And it's 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 you know sometimes we think about these kids as like you know thirty year old veterans, but we're we're dealing with like twenty year olds, and when. When, fa- when a fan base is telling you we don't want you in favor of the other five-star guy that can certainly play some mind tricks on you. He's not gonna have to worry about that uh, at Carolina. That's for sure. Connor, we could do this a long time. Um, I'll, I'll wrap things up. Just asking you, is there anything in particular again, between now and media days that you're working on, or is just kind of whatever comes down the line? 
we've got a lot of college baseball coverage that, that we're doing right now through, we'll be doing that through the college world series. Um, we actually just finished up talking about like non-football related things. We did uh, a softball series called launch mode, uh, where mm. uh, myself and, and Derek Peterson wrote a few different stories um, related to the evolution in, in the, the home run in college softball. I actually mm. did a story on um, Mia Williams, who is, the number one softball recruit in the country in the 2023 class. She's been committed to Florida since she was 12 years old. She is the daughter of Jason Williams, AKA white chocolate. So oh, she wow. is, yes. Uh, she's going to be a, a household name. Uh, the, the comp that I was given was she is going to be Alex Rodriguez of, of softball like that. She is on that level. So wow. it's cool. And her mom, oh, by the way, was like an Olympic qualifier throw, throwing the javelin as well. Like all American at Florida. So her genetics are incredible, but she's also just got this, unbelievable work ethic. So it was really cool to be able to kind of dig into that uh, and do that piece. So, you know, we've, we've got a lot of different, a lot of different types of, of content up on Saturday down South right now, but yeah, we'll be, we'll be locking into to some football things in, in a matter of time here. I got a quarterback series that I'm going to be working on uh, where we're going to do some in-depth stuff on every quarterback in the SEC that I know I'll have a little bit of help from Matt hitting on and Matt Hayes, hopefully as well. Cause he just, both of those guys do such great work covering all things college football. So yeah, we'll have a lot coming down the pipeline real soon. Yeah, Matt's done a good job uh, for a long time in this business as well. And, and again, uh, uh, really, as I've mentioned it, you and I've never met in person. Uh, JC and you have a little bit of a tie-in. On, yeah, a uh, walk-by back a in walk 2015. By. Yeah, yeah, there was a walk-by in 2015. <laughs> so you, you guys had a walk-by. I've never even had a walk-by in, in my travels. We've probably been at the same football stadium at the same time at one point or another. But uh, we've never met, but I've just uh, I've, I've really appreciated your work from afar and uh, appreciate the website. So uh, keep up the great work. And we certainly encourage uh, our listeners to uh, check out Saturday Down South, check out the work of Connor O'Gara at Connor O'Gara on Twitter. And uh, hopefully we can uh, get you back on down the line, Connor. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, appreciate it. You got it. Connor O'Gara, Saturday Down South, joining us here on JC and Morgan. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope's State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right. Even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So good stuff there from Connor O'Gara. And again, during the uh, the off months here this season, we keep it rocking and rolling, but we... Uh, Certainly like to get guests on, and we still have specific guests for specific schools that will line up as well. But it's funny, JC. Like I, I almost I'm not gonna say I enjoy it more than the actual season of doing the podcast, uh, <laughs> because we have so much. I mean, really, the challenge is to try to fit everything in, in under 90 minutes when you got so much to talk about. But what I love about the off season is that a we were able to you know uh, weave in really good guests, and we're able to just kind of take a macro look and focus on different things as opposed to feeling obligated to, to tackle every game that just happened, uh, you know, 48 hours ago. So, uh, so far so good. And you folks have, 
have uh, really enjoyed it based on the numbers. So we'll, we'll keep it rocking and rolling here on JC and Morgan uh, once again, but uh, yeah, anything yeah. you wanted to pick up on from uh, yeah. what Connor was talking about? Yeah. And, and like you said, like I was on uh, with our friend Chuck Oliver on Monday yeah. and that was, uh, I guess uh, he, he got me about South Carolina and uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the Gamecocks and you know, here's some things here. You know, I, I think it's South Carolina. It's, it's, it's an interesting deal. Just, I mean, I'm immersed in it every day, obviously, but it's uh, from afar. It's it's you know, I I think he's right when he says yes, they have Rattler, but they also have Jaheim Bell, um, who is probably one of the more unique players in college football. Uh, they also have Josh Van, their leading receivers back, who caught 43 balls on a breakout year last year. He mentioned Juice Wells from James Madison, caught 80 passes. Uh, and Vinny Sunseri, who's an assistant at James Madison, who was on staff at Alabama, compared him to those receivers Alabama has. He's just from FCS. Nobody's heard of him. Uh, was a kid that didn't qualify out of, out of high school, out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, ended up at JMU after prep school. You know, Austin Stogner, who was an elite recruit uh, out of the state of Texas, who went to Oklahoma, who, who's been up and down with injuries. He's coming in as a tight end. South Carolina's offensive line has 139 combined starts this year. That's a big number for an offensive line. <clears throat> Plus, he mentioned Marshawn Lloyd, a borderline five-star guy. They've got depth behind him with Christian Beal Smith, who led Wake Forest in rushing last year. Uh, you know, plus uh, a guy like a uh, Rashad Amos or a Juju McDowell. I mean, you know, you. They had such a bad year on off or an inconsistent year on offense last year. I think it's hard for people to, to say, well, Rattler, you know, just look at it and say, well, Rattler's not going to make that big of a difference. But, uh, you know, that certainly solidifies that spot. Uh, I, I think I would be less bullish on Spencer Rattler had they not added other pieces that I really like. And I almost feel like I'm, I don't want to talk about them too much. I kind of feel like I'm keeping a secret here, you know, <laughs> uh, but they added some more, you know, because their receiver core was not good last year either. I mean, they did not have very many weapons at all, uh, despite, you know, what happened with the quarterback room at South Carolina. So uh, I almost feel like that, that could be some, a team that surprises. I, I you know, you, you almost are hesitant to do it uh, because of course, everybody's talking about Tennessee and, the numbers they put up last year and, and with Levis coming back to Kentucky and then Missouri had a historically great recruiting class. They added Luther Bowden, uh, Bowden, I think is his name, five-star big play guy of the state of or East St. Louis, Illinois, um, big time player there. So South Carolina's kind of under the radar with the exception of, of the Rattler. Well, here's but, the thing. But they do have other pieces in place. I mean, I yeah. think. On yeah, no. I, and like you said, I mean, you're immersed in it, right? So. Yeah. You can safely say uh, this is going to be a better Gamecock team with yeah. more weapons. I mean, last year, the fact that they got seven wins, <laughs> how, how Shane Beamer scotch taped that thing together to put together the year that he had and then a route in the bowl game of a border rival and the Tar Heels like that, I don't think anybody could do much better. Um, now you've got, you know, as Connor mentioned, as you and I both know, uh, there, there hasn't been a reign of just five-star quarterbacks rolling through Columbia. Yeah. The thing that I look at it, this is more of the 10,000 feet above you. I think there's no doubt the Gamecocks are going to be better. 
but who else isn't going to be better in the SEC's Eastern Division, right? I mean, like, there was a time there where the East was going through a really awful patch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coaching inconsistencies, uh, the recruiting was down, scandals, uh, just a number of things all collectively happening at the same time, which was really rare when you think about it. You know, like every every conference has a, a program or two that goes through a roller coaster and then like, you know, it could be cyclical, but but it happens simultaneously. Well, now that's over. Georgia's Georgia. Uh, I, I, I think that I mentioned Richardson in Florida. I mean, if he if he even gets to like 80 percent of what he's capable of, Florida's going to be better than what they were last year, for sure. Absolutely. And and Tennessee defensively, if they get that even a little bit better combined with what they have coming back on offense, they could be better. You mentioned, right. You mentioned Missouri in their recruiting class and then Kentucky Levis another year. I know they lose Wandell, uh, but Kentucky could be like, so even if this is where, this is where you always see fan bases get frustrated about things because they look at it through a certain lens and you say, well, wait a minute, we're getting better. So therefore we should win three more games. Yeah. The problem is that everybody you're playing is getting better. If that's the case, then you're not going to win three more games. And that's where I wonder like, what is the ceiling for a Gamecock team in 2022? I don't know the answer to that, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's 10 games, right? No, it depends on who, who is actually good. I mean, some of these guys certainly, you know, uh, juice wells, People talk about him being good. Um, he was good at James Madison, but he's going to be good in the SEC. You know, Marshawn Lloyd has yet to do it. You know, he's got potential. He's healthy, but, you know, he's, you know, and then uh, Austin Stogner coming in from Oklahoma as a tight end. Sure, yeah, 6'6", 250, runs like a deer. Um, in the Bedlam game last year, one of the best catches I've seen a tight end make. He, he reminds me of those tight ends, Mike, from Notre Dame. Like starting with Kyle Rudolph, mm-hmm. um, those six seven, they look like basketball Huge. power forwards. Yeah, but they look, look power forwards or, or, or small forward shooting guards nowadays in the NBA. Yeah. But uh, you know, and he reminds me of that guy. I mentioned Jaheim Bell. Well, there were games he disappeared last year. You know, and then there's the matter of the Gamecock defense. I mean, and they do they return a lot of players. Their uh, two starting linebackers are combined forty seven years old. <laughs> I think older players sometimes uh, help you, especially the place like linebacker, but it, it just depends. And, and here's the, here to, to, to put a bow on the Carolina talk. And I know a lot of our audience, uh, they are Gamecock fans. Listen to this. Here are the first four SEC games. Take the non-conference games out, which are Georgia. It's kind of the, who are the people in your neighborhood schedule? Cause they play Georgia state, Charlotte and South Carolina state. Uh, in the non-conference besides Clemson. But if they open at Arkansas, they come home and play Georgia, they go at Kentucky, and then they play Texas A&M at home. Those are the first four Southeastern Conference football games at the University of South Carolina this year. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, if that were flipped and and they went to Athens and to College Station and then Arkansas came to town and Kentucky came down, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, two and two. Uh, you know, maybe, heck, maybe three and one if they pull an upset or whatever. But, boy, that's a bear starting those yeah. – starting, you know, 
with Georgia and A&M coming to Columbia and then at Arkansas and at Texas, at, I mean, at Kentucky and Kentucky's beating them seven of the last nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and has Carolina has not won in Lexington since 2012. I mean, that's, that's sort of brutal. Cause I, I look at Arkansas. I think they're going to have a good team this year before the situation with Chris Rodriguez, which it doesn't look like he's going to make it back according to Kentucky sports radio uh, and some other outlets that cover that before he was, you know, ran into his trouble, you know, I thought I would probably pick Kentucky second in the East behind Georgia, just because their program is at that point, Mike, where they're recruiting about the same every year in terms of, you know, the types of guys they go get and then they develop and they plug them in. And, you know, with the exception of 2019, when they couldn't figure out who their quarterback was till down the stretch, and then they still won eight, they've been very consistent in Lexington. Um, and that's why that's one of the reasons I think when you when you talk about what schools are uh, griping and complaining about maybe going to nine, Kentucky's kind of the ringleader because they have a formula. They play three cupcakes at Louisville. I mean, you look down the road, you have schools like Missouri and Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and uh, they've got road games scheduled to group of five schools. They got this, that, and the other. Not Kentucky. It's 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 two MAC schools at FCS school and. Uh, freaking Louisville every single year. Um, but that's their formula. And, and we know, you and I both know, that it's a myth Kentucky fans don't care about football, that they've, they've probably got realistic standards and they want to keep it going. And I think that they're at the point under under Mark Stoops, where they, where they are um, – yeah, Mark Stoops, not Mike Stoops, Mark Stoops. Uh, Mike's there they, now. Where they will. I know Mike's there now. And, yeah, it, it you know, so if you're South Carolina – you're looking at it, you're like, well, Arkansas could be one of the better teams of the league this year. Uh, Georgia's Georgia. You go at Kentucky, which has owned you, and then Texas A&M, who they've never beaten since A&M joined the SEC. So that's that's a when, – when South Carolina talks about being better, I tend to agree personnel-wise. Uh, they're going to be a lot better. They're going to be a lot better suited uh, to go win football games, especially on offense. But, boy, oh, boy, like you said, who else is getting better? Well, you know, I don't think Georgia will be any better next year, but they don't need to be. They're still elite. <laughs> uh, I think AM's planning on it. I think Kentucky, you know, without Rodriguez, maybe not, you know, but Arkansas certainly has got a lot of key players back mm. and they've been winning. And man, it's just a tough deal. That's a tough first four games. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's before you get to the game at the swamp or the game against Tennessee the weekend before Clemson. And, all of that. So that's that's kind of a beast, uh, in my opinion, those first yeah. four SEC games for the game. No, it, it is. It always it always feels like Carolina has a top 10 schedule. Like mm-hmm. they can't get out of that pattern no matter how hard. And again, they're not even in the West, but it, it, the, the matchups in the Western division always seem to be kind of lopsided. Uh, it seems like the, uh, the schedule makers never do the Gamecocks many favors yeah. in that regard, which – yeah, next week we'll get into this too. We didn't we didn't get too far into the scheduling talk, but because it feels like it's just stalled. Um, I don't expect any resolution coming out of SEC media days on it. But you can't find anybody who loves the current model. But then you can't find you can't find everybody that's going to agree on a new model. And again, we're just in a holding pattern because we don't know what the heck's going to ever be done with the playoff. Yeah, I thought for sure they'd go to nine. Uh, and I thought that they would arrive at that consensus pretty quick uh, in Destin. But, 
but then you look at it and you're like, well, you know, and, and how Ross, uh, who, by the way, Connor's right, and, and you're right, Ross has done a great job reporting on this whole thing. So Been all shout, over it. Shout out to him. Um, from what he reported, you know, it was kind of the the tops, quote-unquote, top seven programs that you think of traditionally, and they want to play nine, and the rest of them want to play eight and stay with eight. Uh, and I started thinking, I was like, well, there's no way those top schools aren't going to get their way. But, but then I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, what does it really hurt the top however many schools that are in the league uh, by, by sticking with eight? Because you look at some of those future schedules, Mike, like Georgia, they've loaded it. I mean, there's one year I think they play Clemson, Florida State, Georgia Tech, non-conference. <laughs> Already scheduled uh, years into the future. Now, we know Georgia Tech's got problems right now, so it's not as tough as – they, they may – what if they bounce back and are one of the better teams in the ACC, and all of a sudden, you know, that's a bear if you got nine league games. Alabama scheduled the same way. Florida scheduled the same way. So, you know, maybe, maybe they don't just jump on it. I know the ACC is staying at eight as well. So – you know, maybe nine isn't as much of a layup. I, and I do think that, you know, the 1-7 formula is unfortunate in the sense that we're, we will definitely lose, you know, Auburn and Georgia because Auburn's not going to play Georgia every year and not play the Iron Bowl, you know, and uh, and all that. But because it's every other year uh, and, and you, you'll see every stadium in the league through four years and you'll play every team twice in four years in the league – Maybe that's a little more intriguing. We're going on 30 years now of this same old uh, SEC scheduling model where you got permanents and divisions and all that. And, and, and with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, maybe it'll be cool to try something new, even if it just remains at eight. It used to be, correct me if I'm wrong, before Missouri and A&M were added, two permanent opponents, right? Well, yeah. Well, okay. It was two permanent opponents from 1992 to 2002. And and you talked about the Gamecocks. How about this? Those years, their two permanent opponents were Arkansas and Mississippi State. Right? That's right. Yeah. And yeah. Mississippi State had like a great run under Jackie Sherrill. Right, right, right. And then they go in the tank and they go off the schedule. Then it was two rotating uh, until 2012. Uh, and then they had a couple of years, 2012, 2013, where it was just weird. And they just kind of, you know, played a schedule, you know, mm-hmm. and then in 2014, it went to uh, the current format, the six one one, where you play the six in your division, one permanent, one rotating uh, from the other division. And, you know, that's gone up like a lead balloon. It's yeah. I mean, even Dan Mullen was talking about it when Florida played Mississippi state a couple years. He's like, we hadn't played Mississippi state, but like, yeah. once and forever uh you know talking about south carolina and this is if you're a gamecock fan you're probably a little bit happy about this although it would have been neat to see them play down there with some of those spurrier teams they had in the early part of the, uh, the 2010s uh they have not played a game in tuscaloosa since 2009 and and will will not until 2024 so it's 15 years incredible <laughs> that's and that that's got to be fixed and that will be fixed regardless of what model we're going to that's going to be fixed yeah uh, everybody agrees you have to have more diversity of teams coming in on a more regular basis um players want to be able to say hey i played in that stadium during my four year mm-hmm. career and, and and we're just not 
we're not doing that. So, you know, that was a, that was a swing and a miss and now you improve it. But um, I used to think nine, just like you was probably automatic. Right. Yeah. Uh, I no longer feel that way based on what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, I think eight's got momentum right now. Yeah. Until, until you know that expansion in the playoff is a done deal. um, You might be looking at eight. Uh, There'll be more talk about that next month. And of course we'll be talking about that more, maybe even next week. And we'll see what other uh, things we have in store for you. Some more guests certainly are going to be lined up for sure. Thanks again to Connor O'Gara. JC, uh, I would be remiss if we don't sign off before the big news I uh, touched upon at the top. And we saved the best for last. You, my friend, you weren't sick last week. You weren't uh, in the Galapagos Islands uh, riding sea turtles. You were making a game-changing move in your personal life. Let the fine folks out there know what it is. Happy to announce that I got engaged uh, to uh, a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, Just a a really lucky man, you know. Um, uh, Life is sort of a journey. You know, and I, I, people want to know why I spend time in Chicago now all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's why. And uh, we've known each other for, um, gosh, I, I think, uh, you know, I guess three years now and uh, survived COVID and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has uh, two boys that are wonderful that I get along with very well. And my mother was in town uh, and, you know, just left and we have. A little more celebrating to do here uh, the next couple of days before I get back in the swing of things on the big spur and all that. But uh, yeah, proposed, dropped the question on Saturday. And uh, she said, yes, yeah, so uh, that, that was a relief, right? And so um, that's awesome. about to re-enter the uh, realm of the married again. And uh, gosh, it's been about 10 years. So I've been single the last 10 years. Non, uh, let's say I haven't been engaged or married the last 10 years. Uh, and it's been a hell of a run. I mean, <laughs> you know, just to be honest, uh, I, uh, I've, I've learned a lot and, uh, certainly looking forward to the rest of my life, uh, with her and, uh, can't say enough good about her and her family and, uh, you know, very excited, uh, and enthusiastic about this next step. That's awesome. Uh, your, your relationship with your fiance uh, and and my relationship with my wife uh, almost coincide timeline yeah. wise. So you Same and I, thing. yeah, we were both in the transfer portal, if you will, <laughs> for a while. Just portal. we were we were in the portal, and uh, there there were some different schools that gave offers, but we were waiting for the right NIL deal. Yeah, it had to be a sweet NIL deal to make that kind of commitment. And uh, uh, you and I have, have both. Uh, done very well in that regard i hate to use the we got to come up with a new cliche other than outkick the coverage i always yeah when, when somebody says that about me i you know i take it as a compliment but i also I'm like can we come up with something new and original like that's become a little stale so maybe we'll get the boys in research and development to come up with that but at any way at any rate i, I wanted to congratulate i've gotten to meet nat she's a fantastic fantastic person and you guys look uh, extremely happy together so, uh, and as, and as always, anybody who, um, is in this business, radio, TV, print websites, if you cover sports for a living, you work odd hours, odd days, you work every weekend, just about, um, you don't have the typical social calendar. So your, your, um, 
your significant other is going to either adjust to that or the relationship is going to die. And, uh, and, and thankfully she has gotten to learn uh, your schedule uh, much like any of us in the business. You got to have a very understanding uh, significant other in that regard. Yeah, she absolutely. Yeah. She, she's, and and it has been a learning experience because uh, I'm lucky she's a Notre Dame fan and said she, she's one of the, the, not the few people, but one of the people that live, grew up in Chicago, you know, grew, grew up most of her life in Chicago, originally from Thailand, but uh, uh, they grew up enjoying college football, specifically Notre Dame. I've kind of gotten her into the SEC a bit. And uh, so, so I'm lucky because you meet somebody from Chicago and you're just thinking bears, bears, beef sandwich, bears, they all day, you know, and uh, she loves the Bears and, and the White Sox and those those teams, but uh, she she does understand and appreciate college football, and you know that that obviously is helpful with with That's, what I do. That that definitely definitely uh, helps out for sure. Well, that is that is awesome, and uh, congratulations to you again. And we'll we'll take some of that giddiness that you are feeling during this moment. We'll transfer it over into our next podcast as well and uh look forward to that thank everybody for tuning in once again for episode number 164 for jc sherbert mike morgan so long for now we'll talk to you next week